0: This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: Tuesday edition, Election Day. Scoops with Danny Mac. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Great to have you with us. It is 10.08 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Scott Manziera is with us. And Scotty, have you... Laid down your vote yet.
2: I have not gotten a chance to, so everyone should go vote now so that when I get a
1: chance to, the lines are gone. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Uh but go vote. Go vote. Go vote. It is your right to do that. Uh let's see. The 314. I am listening on the app, waiting to vote, drinking coffee, freedom. All right. I like it. So go vote. Download the app, take in the show. Ribs and PK, they're coming up next. So my guest today, really one of the great people in the business. Visit with Chris Gervino of the Missouri Tiger Radio Network. And from the controversial hit over the weekend with the Florida Gators, to the start of what has been a two and three start from Mizzou, the beginning of the Eli Drinkwitz era. We'll talk it over with Chris Trevino. also uh, probably mix in a little basketball as well. Really, one of the great people um, in the Missouri area, and just does a wonderful job covering Missouri Tiger basketball and football. Okay, let's start with a little baseball. They announced their finalists for the awards last night. There was not a Cardinal on the list that were presented. We start with MVP Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Manny Machado. My pick. It's Freddie Freeman. He had never finished higher than fourth in the MVP vote. He hit 341, 13 homers, led the league in doubles with 23, league high 53, runs batted in, a top three OPS. He's a leader. His team won. He's a guy that uh, also could win a gold glove. I'm going Freddie Freeman even over Mookie Betts. Now, if you're looking at the full body of work... Smooky bets, but this is about regular season play.
2: Really, if I was going to, including postseason, I would have went Corey Seager just with how many bombs he had. You no, know, He had a pretty good postseason run, I would say, right up there with Randy Rosarena. But if you're looking at the regular season, it's Freddie Freeman. I'm, I'm 100% with you, Dan. There really is no better argument.
1: Cy Young finalist, National League, Trevor Bauer, no surprise there. You Darvish, Jacob DeGrom. DeGrom now three straight years to be a finalist, trying to make it three straight years and winning it. I'm going with Trevor Bauer. Not very good first season with Cincinnati. Remember, you had 10 starts. Wasn't very good at all. Matter of fact, he made a start at Bush Stadium. Cardinals killed him. And he did not face the Cardinals this year. This season, though, leads the National League, 1.73 ERA, struck out 100 in 73 innings. He allowed one earned run or fewer in eight of his 11 starts and struck out at least 12 batters in four of them. So I am going with one Trevor Bauer, who, by the way, is a free agent to be. Rookie of the Year, Alec Baum. Jay Cronenworth and Devin Williams, Devin Williams, St. Louis native. I mean, this guy was awesome. Awesome. And not only was it a great rookie season, it was as dominant a season ever for a reliever. So I was digging into some of the numbers. This is one of the best seasons ever for a reliever. I think he's the reliever of the year. I also think he's the national league um, player of the year. So rookie of the year. So one earned run over 27 innings. That's incredible. He throws what basically is a screwball, and he learned this pitch. He, he had kind of had it, but then he learned about it in spring training. So it's a screwball. It's it's got this weird spin coming the other way, and it's it's just it's incredible. I I I, I got to go on like YouTube, watch it, watch it in slow mo, how it comes out of his hands. He worked on it in spring training, so you can call it a changeup. I call it a screwball i call this though awesome one for 59 against it 41 strikeouts that's ridiculous he's the rookie of the year so i would also give key brian hayes an honorable mention for the pirates i think that guy's an absolute stud he's gonna have a, a really good career in pittsburgh he'll be a force in the central what about dylan carlson okay so dylan carlson came up slow start Went back down by the end of the season, batting cleanup for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was on MLB radio network yesterday.
0: It's hard to believe when you walk into our clubhouse, just looking around the amount of guys and what they've done in this game. For me, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, definitely a guy, uh, I relied on heavy, just he's so willing to give, give and pass information along, uh, not only on the field, but off the field. Um, Matt Carpenter was huge for me. Yachty, of course, Wainwright, um, just, I mean, everyone on the team, it's it's so hard to not just name everyone right now, but, you know, there's there's so many guys, and they're willing to pass information along and help help you better yourself, and, you know, it, it makes it really special going into the clubhouse each and every day.
1: I think the Cardinals project him probably in his career being a corner outfielder, more than likely a right fielder, but the one thing that he does do is give you flexibility as the Cardinals will try to address their offense in particular with their outfield play and production next year so he can play left he can play center he can play right I would say it was a solid year for Dylan Carlson wasn't great but I think it was good he's 21 man he just turned 22 two weeks ago I believe so you know there was a lot of pressure put on him when the team was hit with covid they brought him up and he was playing every day and you could tell he got exhausted he was barreling a lot of balls didn't have a lot of luck and then there's the mental side of it too it was starting to you know you could just see it was playing with him and then they sent him down and i thought it was imperative that the cardinals brought him back up one way or another he needed to get a better taste in his mouth going into this offseason and not let that linger all offseason like uh uh-oh you know, can I do this? Where where am I at? And I'm not saying he gets buried mentally, but it's just, it was important to get him back up here. And now he goes into next off season, or at least next season in this off season saying, I've had a cleanup for a team that went to the playoffs. I can do this. I know I can do it.
2: Well, and I know Dan, that you're just saying that the Cardinals don't know, you know, if he's going to be a center fielder left or right. And I think this upcoming season is the perfect one for him then, because he's going to have an opportunity to play all three of those positions. Then you're going to have the Fowler contract coming off where you're going to have him wide open and a much better idea at the end of 2021, where he's going to play. And hopefully over 162 games, you'll realize, Hey, this guy is going to be an X spot and it's not going to hurt him to play multiple positions. We saw him do it this last year. He looked fine.
1: Flexibility. That's what I like, and he's only 22, so flexibility. Manager of the Year finalists are Don Mattingly, David Ross, Jace Tingler, no Mike Schilt. Choice is Don Mattingly. For me, it's an easy one. Just a year ago, they lost 105 games this season. They got into the playoffs.
3: I look to the top. I think it starts at the top with ownership. Uh, working his way down through Derek and right you know, right down through our staff into the development and analytics, I think we all... Derek put us all on the same page, where we, we have a goal in mind. And we knew uh, that it was going to be a little rough. We didn't want to talk about it for a couple of years, but we believed in where we wanted to go. And I think, you know, coming into this season, there was a lot of people in our clubhouse and within our group that believed that we were going to have pretty good pitching. And if these young guys developed and continue to develop, with that, You can do a lot, and we were going to be in games, and if we could put a few runs on the board, uh, we were going to be able to make a little bit of noise.
1: So getting in with that kind of turnaround, 105 losses, that's one thing. So that's admirable in itself. But then to do it by using 61 players in 60 games because of a COVID outbreak, that's another. A lot of guys coming off the street not even knowing who they are, putting them in a Marlins uniform and saying, go get them. So that's why Don Mattingly and who is – so respected in the game of baseball he I think he'll, he's going to win in a landslide but uh, in my opinion Mike Shields should be on that list because of what Mike also went through with two outbreaks of COVID and then to get in and you know you, we've talked about it at nauseum I mean you go back to that first time back against the White Sox Adam Wainwright giving you five innings and then after that you had no idea none who's going to pitch and get you through these games and somehow, some way they did. So Don Mattingly should win it, but Mike Schilt should be a finalist. In my opinion, Mattingly though said something interesting there about pitching. And that's what the Cardinals do have going into 2021, a bunch of it. Hey, it's on paper. You know, you're hoping to get Michael back. You're not sure about a bunch of guys that they're probably going to ask to stretch out as starters going into spring training. Many of them will wind up in the bullpen, but they do have depth with pitching. Got to dress the offense, patience the key there, but they do have pitching. Monday Night Football, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Bucks. they survive against the Giants.
4: Here we go to tie the game.
5: Jones throwing for it, and it is knocked away! Deion Lewis and Antoine Winfield contact, there's a flag
3: in the end zone. Did Winfield get there too early?
5: Wow, that is close.
3: That is close. It's like a fraction of a second. Consider this: for seven weeks, we've heard clear and obvious. When we need a conference to determine yes or no, maybe it's not. Here there is go. no foul for yeah. 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 defensive pass interference on the
0: play. Well, it's hard to win games in the NFL. I think any any way you cut it, it's hard to win, and it comes down a lot of times to end of game situations and one play here, one play there. You know, it's it's very rarely where. You know, you win by seven touchdowns like you do in college football. So, you know, you make one play, you you know, they make one play. It's just, you know, it's it's they made a good play on fourth and 17. And that gave them a chance. Had if, if we stopped them there, you know, wouldn't have had the a dramatic finish that it had. So they made the play and we made a play. It's just evident flows. That's football.
1: Sixth uh, game is the Bucks QB. Tom Brady, you can start to see it now. They're starting to put things together. wasn't pretty last night, Monday Night Football. They come up big, though, as they win it. Uh, you know, that, that last play, I didn't think it was pass interference. The Bucks win. Now they're going to get A.B. in their repertoire of weapons. It's kind of like uh, hate watching for me. I got to watch him because he's, <laughs> what, 43, 44, whatever he is. Right. He's still pretty darn good, man. They're they're still must-see TV for me. They They, are.
2: It doesn't matter if they're playing Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday at 3 o'clock. They are must-watch TV for me.
1: Interesting that the NFL is talking about maybe the expansion of playoffs, maybe even as soon as this year, Chris Mortensen of ESPN.
4: The competition committee had a a long conference call today about
0: contingencies,
4: and prepared as this pandemic obviously is not going away. We know what the numbers are spiking, and if for some reason – Oh, there are games lost, uh, then what they are going to put as forth as a resolution to the owners eventually is if games are lost, then there will be eight teams in each conference. Four first-place teams in the NFC, four first-place teams in the AFC, and then four additional teams in each conference. So that would be 16 teams in all for the playoffs, and they would be uh, seeded accordingly. So if you're
1: a sports fan, I, I say go for it. Why not? I think you do it. It's an outlier of a season, which we had in baseball. We're getting an outlier of a season in college football. We have no idea how that's going to wind up. I think you do it. You know, it's going to be must-see TV. It's playoff football. People want to see sports for the most part. Um I think you do it. I think you expand it.
2: More playoff football is good football. Yeah. You know, why why would someone say, oh, I don't want to watch an extra game. No, I don't want to watch a game if they play on Saturday night. No, I don't want to watch an extra game on Sunday. Who would say that? And it's a
1: one-off. Come on. It's a one-off of a season. It's been an odd year anyway. I'd go ahead and do it, but we'll see how they want to do it. The biggest college football game this weekend, Clemson, Notre Dame, Dabo Sweeney will not have all of his weapons, including the biggest one.
2: Trevor will not be able to play. Just want to go ahead and get that out there. You know, he's doing great. You know, zoomed with the team last night, talked to him this morning. He's, he, he feels like he could play today. So he's, he's doing well. But obviously we have there's a protocol in place. And so he will be out in time to play, But then you have the cardiac part of it that you have to kind of ramp back up. And even if he feels great and and could could probably go play, you know, he, he's not allowed to do that simply because of the protocol that's in place and that's that's put in place to, to make sure that he can return to play safely.
5: And on the flip side, Brian Kelly of Notre Dame. Hope he's okay. Uh, hope he doesn't have, you know, any lingering effects that, that affects him. He's the best player in college football. Then after that, you're like, well, the virus is indiscriminate. It doesn't care. The virus is going to do what the virus does. And, and, and then... You know, you you start to think, all right, is he is he going to play? You know, I'm sure he's going to play, and then I heard today that he's not going to play, which is, you know, probably the safest thing.
1: So right now, as it stands, six point favorite, Clemson. Clemson, the six point favorite, but that's going to be a fun game to watch. Notre Dame Clemson playoff implications on the line between those two teams.
2: That is crazy to me. I am surprised to see Clemson still at six points. I, I get to their freshman quarterback top recruit in the country, a Mack truck, just an absolute beast. But without Trevor Lawrence, man, that is, that is a much more interesting of a game to me, especially after watching
0: Clemson in the first
2: half against Boston college last week.
0: We are right back to the Carriker and
1: Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. One of the best people in this business is Chris Trevino, and you can hear him every weekend. Not this weekend, though. The Tigers have the weekend off, but he is on the Missouri Tiger radio broadcast on the sidelines for football, analyst for basketball, mixes in some play-by-play, and he just retired doing local news in terms of sports I got to ask you, Chris Gervino, first of all, great to hear your voice. One of the great people in this business, nicest guy ever, but retirement,
4: what's it like? Well, you know, four months in, I like it a lot, Dan, and that's probably <laughs> a good thing, right? We, we, we'd have some issues if I, if I had problems already, but uh, it's a good sign time does uh, fly. I was done at the end of June, and here we are the start of November, but uh, no, it's been great, and thanks for the nice introduction. Um You know, it's just a chance, uh, as I have told you off the air before, you know, I had 32 years, which hopefully is a pretty good run in local sports. It's a great uh, run. You know, I can't imagine I've done really anything else, but uh, the nights and weekends added up a little bit. Uh, Not to get too much about me, but I I got married, as you know, later in life in my 40s, and my wife and I have worked completely opposite schedules (laughs) since then, in almost seven years now that we've been married. And uh, you know, by my joke, but it wasn't even a joke, it was true, was we would be home every night under the same roof, but at least one of us was usually asleep. So now right. we're actually <laughs> awake together in our free time. And again, you know, which I appreciate it, but that's not much of a stretch. So it's been good. And as you mentioned, I'm still involved with the Mizzou Tigers and that's a lot of fun, of course, for me, especially as a graduate, uh oh thirty Three years ago now, just about. Hard to believe. Boy, time flies. That's another thing I've realized about all this. Time really flies.
1: It, it does. Um, and now we're seeing a new era of Tiger football. What, Just in a general sense, what have you thought of Eli Drinkwitz and what's going on with Missouri football?
4: Right. Well, you know, I think he's really sharp. I mean, 36 years old now, 36 when he got the job, second youngest head coach uh, in college football at the major collegiate level, only Lincoln Riley of Oklahoma. Is younger just by a few months, but bright mind, offensive mind. And we've seen some of that with the play calling. And of course the LSU game stands out when they scored 45 points and got a big win. And I remember interviewing him after the game, asking about how he'd gone so deep into his playbook if he called every play. And then I caught myself and said, but I have a feeling you haven't called every play in your playbook. And he laughed. He goes, yeah, you'll have to stay tuned and come back next Saturday. But he's a guy who's been a quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator at North Carolina State along the way, and then, uh, of course, the one-year head coaching in Appalachian State, where it went 12-1 and led the team to the Sun Belt last year. So it's been good. He's got a lot of work. Uh, the whole season's crazy. You don't know from one week to the next if you're going to be playing a game or not. This week, Mizzou has its schedule by, so we don't think they're in action as we visit here. But, you know, they've changed locations of games. They've changed weeks of games. Missouri's clearly been up and down at 2-3, and three. really disappointing against Florida. I think Florida's a very good team legit but i i thought that game would be more competitive than it turned out but now they get two weeks to get ready for georgia here on uh, saturday the 14th but just an interesting year i feel like i'm still getting to know the man because we've been so limited you know in personal interaction and contact frankly given the covid times the lead up to this season was unlike any other but uh We're playing football on most Saturdays this fall, so that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, how do you think he's handled, and how do you think the university has handled the COVID-19 situation just to get back on the field with all the different protocols that a university puts on it, a coach puts on it, a program puts on it, all those things that you have to handle? How do you think it's all gone?
4: You know, I think it's gone okay, relatively speaking, and giving exactly what you mentioned. I mean, trust me, in a college town and a university setting, there have been a lot of restrictions on, on people. I'll leave it at that, but, you know, and I know it's in the best interest in terms of the people making the rules here, but they are really looking out obviously for the kids and the players. And there's a lot to deal with. And, you know, the old adage one day at a time and one game at a time too, we hear in sports so much, but isn't that true with life in general? If nothing else this year, we've kind of learned that, you know, their numbers are really down, Dan. I think 64 scholarship players available for the Florida game. Of course, you normally, with full allotment would have eighty-five, and most of that, you know, is not due to COVID. They just had some attrition when players, you know, transferred out. Given the coaching change, they had uh, scholarships reduced by four. Given past NCAA issues, they've had players opt out because of COVID, and they just had a slew of injuries as well. And now you added a few suspensions from that brawl at halftime of Florida. So you know, as I do the math here sixty four minus three pretty good Dan college degree there you go sixty one I mean they may be down to literally sixty or sixty one scholarship players uh for the Georgia game uh, you know when that comes around here in a week and a half
1: what was your what was your in, you know interpretation of what you saw and how Dan Mullen acted in that he later said he didn't even see the hit on Saturday then he goes out to the far hash the bench is clear and it is you know we're kind of seeing as the dust settled. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm sounding like a homer here, but I'm kind of changing the way I thought about it initially. It was not a good hit. It was definitely a late hit. But you see it all the time in college football. And then I just thought he added a lot of fuel to the fire. Dan Mullen did. It, it wasn't good on either side, but what, what was your interpretation of what you saw and, and how it transpired?
4: Right. Well, I'd never seen anything like that in a Missouri football game, at least. I mean, it was just remarkable because the brawl started. And then you had like little what I called satellite fights break out along the way and they'd stop in one area. And then a few other guys would get going. They never could really get control of it for about five minutes real time. I mean, the, the clock hit zero and they were out there, put a clock on it. I bet it had to be four to five actual minutes and there were guys on the ground, and there were punches being thrown. Yeah. Mullen I think really did have a strong reaction and, and did not help things. He came over and I thought Drinkwood said it, rather eloquently afterwards, uh, and he didn't say it nastily, but he said, you know, their the coach came over to our side of the field, you know, and obviously it was not a good situation in general with the with the ball. It was a cheap shot, you know, when you see the penalty there on on Missouri's player Jeff Jeffco. But, you know, the head coach, uh, upset as he might have been, can't react that way because I think it really did instigate uh, you know, the players, to an extent, certainly it was already a difficult situation. So I think Mullen's a heck of a coach. I really do. I don't know him personally. I, I know he's the only coach in Florida history, their first two years, to lead them to top 10 finishes in the national rankings. And here they are, top 10 again. But I didn't think that was his finest moment, and no pun intended. He's been fined $25,000, and then again, players on each side suspended. But that really got out of control. And I mentioned on the air live Saturday night, back in the tunnel, five minutes into halftime, after they finally cleared the tunnel, and got back there, Mullen was at the officials' locker room door, and he and the Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland were there, David Smith, the referee, came out and talked to them for a few minutes. So, not only did you see the delay at the end of the first half, after the brawl with Mullen and the officials, but then, during the halftime intermission that actually started later than usual, he was still back. He came across to their locker room. So, I was not at all surprised that he was fined, nor was I surprised there were several suspensions handed out, because that really was far beyond what you want to see.
1: Chris Trevino is my guest. I I think if we're going to have a return to play in college football, it looks now like the SEC may have handled this the proper way, not to take away from the Big Ten and the Pac-12, but their schedule is so tight that if they've got teams that are going to get hit with COVID, it's going to be very tough for them to fit in the schedule and then get into the college playoff. What are people saying about the SEC and how they've handled this, generally speaking?
4: Yeah, I think they've handled it really well. And and I would tell you if I didn't, I don't have any attachment or feel obligated to you know, uh, sugarcoat the, the Southeastern Conference. I mean, Missouri obviously in that league, but just for the last eight years. But a lot of people at the beginning when the SEC said it was going to play, said, oh, of course they'll play They're the other. Football Kings, and it's football, football, first and foremost, and that's it. But no, they were so patient. Greg Sankey, especially the commissioner, waited. They pushed the season back, as you know, three weeks, which seemed just right. They built one break into the schedule for everyone. A lot of teams have needed and used that because of uh, postponements of games due to COVID situations and having to reschedule. And they're still going to get, it appears, all teams, at least most of them are going to get most, if not all, 10 games in. I love the schedule, all conference games. Now, coaches may be different. Nick Saban from Alabama is the only one who's wanted to go from eight to nine conference games year after year because his team can certainly afford to do so and win most of them. But for the fans, it's great Uh, in terms of, you know, all these conference games. The unfortunate part, as you know, is the limitations in terms of the numbers at these stadiums. Because, Dan, think of this. Missouri this season will have at Furrow Field, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia – among what turns out to be the six home games now since LSU was switched from Baton Rouge to here. I mean, that's an incredible schedule, but only 11,000 folks were allowed in due to the limitations, so only 11,000 got to see that thrilling win over LSU. But I think the SEC handled it well. I thought at the time, and now in retrospect, I still think the Big Ten and uh, Pac-12 really panicked, and I thought went a little overboard that they were so uh, quick to push things back and of course, they got such blowback from so many people, and now they're going to try to play better late than never. But, you no, know, the SEC really uh, really handled this one pretty well, I think.
1: Chris, I want to ask you, too, as you can imagine, people love to get into here in St. Louis about recruiting and what's happening with uh, Eli and, and getting into the schools and getting these kids. He, he's done a hell of a job, hasn't he, getting into the, the St. Louis area and making some inroads.
4: Yeah, he really has. And that, that's been impressive. You know, and a lot of times there is a little bump with the coaching change and, and you, you change momentum around and get excitement. That is the idea, obviously, when you hire somebody new. But but again, I, I think he's sharp. I mean, he's 37. He's got so much energy. I think he relates to the kids. Uh, he came right in saying, and a lot of coaches do, but saying accurately so that they've got to get the talent out of St. Louis and really around the state. But you know so well all the talent in St. Louis year after year. And so much of it has gotten away from Missouri. You're not going to keep all the kids because obviously they get these big blue chip programs after them. You you understand we're going to the national programs, but you know, so far so good. He's landed a lot of commitments. Obviously they've got to finish the deal, so to speak with the signings when, when that comes up, but you know, that's, that's the lifeblood of the program recruiting. And that's what sets the college game apart. Missouri's got to load up and get more players and better players. And Fill in the roster, and I again commented Saturday night during the game what you see the difference between Missouri and some of these teams like Florida, Alabama, and others is just the depth. You know, I mean, sure. Florida can afford to lose some players, and they did because of the COVID situation. And when Mizzou had a few injuries on the offensive line Saturday night, it really made life extremely difficult against the Gators. So they've got to build up the numbers and the talent, and that's the mission for the head coach. And I think you're right, early on, uh, he has certainly figured that out and uh, got some commitments from some kids around the state, especially there in your city.
1: What are you hearing about basketball in terms of schedule, which is always fluid now for all these yeah. teams and, and just how their COVID situation has been handled. So I'll start with the schedule. What are what are you hearing with, with, uh, with Conzo and his schedule?
4: Right. Well, I think we'll get word on that here in the next week or so. We almost have to, don't we? I mean, it's November, you know, as we speak and of course the season usually will be starting this week, which you didn't ask, but I think it's too early anyway. I wish right. they'd go back to starting it around Thanksgiving because it just gets swallowed up by football. Nobody even notices, and uh, it's plenty long enough, and they have plenty of games. But I think, Dan, they're going to play mostly an SEC schedule, which would be 18 games home and away. I think those will be on you know campus sites. And then they're going to have just a handful of non-conference games, but literally a handful. I mean, three or four, maybe five. The max you could play is 25. I'm not even sure Missouri's going to fill up. 25 games they had that tournament they were going to play in first in Myrtle Beach South Carolina then it was moved to Orlando Florida now that's been wiped out so they've lost those games but uh, I think that comes out in the next week or so it's really fluid Uh, we're all anxious to waiting uh, find out you know what it's going to be but mostly an SEC schedule and hey you know Missouri's got the most experienced team in the SEC and I think the third most in the country among power five teams of players coming back I mean I think 11 of their uh, 13 or 10 of their 12 scholarship guys are seniors and juniors with a lot of game experience. So theoretically that should equate to success now is, you know, it's really go time. I think for Conzo and his ball club, if in fact they get on the court and have a semblance of a season, which looks like they will play.
1: And in terms of health, have you heard anything about that?
4: Well, yeah, I think they look good. I mean, I, I think the, the kids look good in practice. Uh, they, you know, they've been practicing a few weeks as far as I know. You know, they're really good. They haven't had uh, issues with the virus or anything, certainly not that's been shared with me. So, uh, you know, I think they're going to be okay. And they've got real depth on that team. A lot of guys who have played, you know, it's a good question to ask because once the game's start, they've got to stay healthy. I mean, they've had more than 100 games lost due to injury in terms of, you know, players going back to the two porters and Mark Smith the last couple of years, Jeremiah Chilman, of of rotational players, starters or guys who play quickly getting off the bench they've missed more than a hundred games uh, of a group of guys the last three years and I'm not making excuses but it's just a fact it's hard to win when you're not at full complement for so many portions of the season a lot of those injuries have occurred during conference play which has really set them back
1: you're the best my man miss in person <laughs> thanks for doing this and uh, you're doing such a great job as always on the on the radio games I love listening to you and Mike and the crew and so much fun so can't wait to see you and in person very soon hopefully yeah. sooner than later and uh we'll hopefully catch up on the basketball uh, front as well very very soon
4: that'd be great dan thanks very much and yeah look forward to you on the cards broadcast hopefully you'll have a full season next year we'd all be happy about that
1: oh my goodness wouldn't we ever that's uh, <laughs> you have no, you have no idea that is I uh, <laughs> yes you do that's uh one of the best chris gervino <laughs> More of what you want to hear. Scoops
0: with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
1: 636 on the text line. Danny Mac, love the show. Love listening to Chris Gervino. What did you think of Dan Mullen? After listening to Chris, did you think it was right that he was on the field? Well, he was on the far hash. Don't like that. I did not know... Chris shed some light on that, that he went and visited with the officials at halftime. I, I didn't know that. Um, he's kind of becoming this polarizing figure too in college football. You know, he's at Mississippi state for a while. He had Dak Prescott, got them to the number one ranking in the country at one point, then gets the Florida job after having success there as a coordinator. Pete Thamel was on the Paul Finebaum show uh, yesterday and talked about how polarizing he truly has become in college football.
0: I would say from 2004 until about a month ago he was a pretty benign figure in college football meaning like you didn't have a lot of fans you know outside the state of Mississippi I guess who really had like passionate feelings about Dan Mullen right like he was generally a, a good coach and a good play caller who you know ran a, ran a good program both at state and at Florida and I would say in the last month, he's become like, it's been like an extreme makeover of all of a sudden he's become polarizing, obviously, after the bad loss at A&M combined with the comments after that. And then uh, you look at what happened last weekend, you know, going, charging onto the field in the middle of the fight. It, it's just been, it's been an interesting turn for a guy who's, who's sort of been benign. For uh for you know most of the last two decades, quite frankly. So it's it's been interesting to see. And then the Darth Vader mask was it was an yeah. interesting uh was, was an interesting touch. Fifteen-ish years of vanilla have, have taken a distinct turn. I don't really have a great reason for that, but it, it has certainly been fascinating to see.
1: Fine twenty-five thousand dollars shows up in the Darth Vader costume, goes on the far hash. Eh. Ain't liking it. Now the hit, you're gonna have late hits. And it was a late hit. Was it all that bad? Not really. I mean, it's a bad hit. It's late. But is it enough to have a bench-clearing brawl? I didn't think so. I
2: don't know about a bench-clearing brawl, but it definitely warranted some response. A
1: bench-clearing brawl? No,
2: no, no. I'm, I'm saying not a bench-clearing brawl, but it's so definitely... a response? W- so I think what they did where the players kind of get up in his grill is fine, but everybody doesn't need to clear to come help and join in. And that's what I mean. I
1: think he kind of instigated it by what he did by going to the far hash, and now if your players see you do that, you're going to follow suit. Brian Kelly, head coach of Notre Dame, on playing Clemson after losing to them in 2018 in the playoffs
5: yeah i mean we're twenty nine and three you know over the last thirty two games i think you know we're we're not a uh uh you know a team that's that's easily uh you know overcome with the moment uh so uh we we we'll be just fine you know we've got to execute um and and certainly the last time that we played poorly uh we've won twelve in a row so you know you, you got to execute you got to play well in the moment um but this team is exhibited that uh you know they're they're not uh they're not a team that's gonna back away from a challenge and uh when they're down um you know they'll they'll certainly uh They'll, they'll certainly pick up their pace and, and uh, answer any challenges that are in front of them. I have no, no question about that.
1: Clemson favored by six. Really looking forward to this game. It's going to be fun. Notre Dame-Clemson this weekend. So a lot of college football talk on this edition of Scoops with Danny Mac Tomorrow, it's Brian Walton. We cross it over. Ribs K. that's coming up next.
0: More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mack in podcast form on 101 ESPN
1: ribs bk alex they are coming up and then they'll take you to the fast lane
3: all right buddy what do you got we uh a lot of baseball so i don't know if you caught it yesterday dan but uh we we sparked a nerve among cardinals fans finding out if they would rather bring back yadi and Wayno, or maybe some of these middle tier free agents that were out there and a lot of people said that they'd bring in the middle tier free agent. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We got Craig Edwards of Fangraphs coming on with us. And uh, Jim Bowden just put a, a top 25 piece out on The Athletic. Yachty was not among the top 25 free agents right now. So I'm thinking we'll get into that a little bit as well. It's all in the eye of the beholder, too. And that's how those articles always go with free agency, right? Like you always see a top 25 free agent list or a top 25 players right now, and they're going to be all over the place. But what's interesting is putting Yachty below some of these other names, but then the connections of those top 25 names to the Cardinals... Some you understand, like a George Springer. Others I was a little surprised by as well. Well, you got J.T. Realmuto,
1: who is, by all accounts, a top catcher that'll be out there. Correct. But Then, if you're missing pieces, a catcher that's defensive minded, that needs a you know has a great resume, and you just need that guy, mm-hmm. Yadi Molina certainly is to the eye of the beholder, saying, "Well, we got Yadi Molina. That's that's a." It's a hall of famer we can bring in. It's still playing at a high level. Well, another if you're the Cardinals, you're saying the value is this guy means a lot to us more so
3: than others. So it's the legacy side of it. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and the interesting one with that too is it's not just the defensive side, Dan. It's Working with those those young pitching, That's right? Pl- uh, those, those young pitchers, you can find a way to mold those guys into what you want with a couple years of yachty. Have you tuned
1: in, Scotty? Great job. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow. Make sure and get out and vote. We'll see you tomorrow at ten on one hundred and one ESPN.
4: You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on one hundred and one ESPN.